streaming live. Please stand by. We'll be streaming live. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you today once again to Bible study time here with Rick Bonson Ministries. I'm Gene Thomas. Delighted to sit down here this morning and have a cup of coffee with you and wander through the pages of Second Timothy together. It's a great, great text, particularly for church work, because it's written to a little church. We don't know how many people there were involved in it. We know the leader of it was a young fellow named Timothy who had been an escort of Paul throughout his wandering missionary life for a while and then assigned to this particular congregation. We can gather from the uh, inferences therein that he did not he had a tough time there in many ways. And it's church work always is. There's no way around it. It's just tough work. And uh, today we're going to go through a kind of a uh, broad view of the second chapter of Timothy at the plan. And we're going to go not necessarily verse by verse. We'll name some verses, but major, in the major way, we're going to stay high. We're going to want to keep, keep our gear up. And we're going to try to be able to see what there is in that second chapter that we might want to put our hearts and minds to today. So, uh, let's have a little prayer before we go this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word, for the goodness that we find therein. We praise and bless your holy name in this Christmas season and rejoice in the life of St. Paul, Timothy, and all those in and around and behind this gospel text. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, let's have at it and read it. And then when we get through reading it, we'll take a look at some of it. So right down to, right down to the ground here, Second Timothy, the second chapter, reading from the Living Bible. Oh, Timothy, my son, be strong with the strength Christ Jesus gives you. For you must teach others those things. You and many others have heard me speak about. Teach these great truths to trustworthy people who will in turn pass them on to others. Take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, just as I do. And as Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become tied up in worldly affairs. For then you cannot satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. Follow the Lord's rules for doing his work. Just as an athlete either follows the rules or is disqualified and wins no prize. Work hard like a farmer who gets paid well if he raises a large crop. Think over these three illustrations and may the Lord help you to understand how they apply to you. Don't ever forget the wonderful fact that Jesus Christ was a man born into the 
King David's family. That he was God, as shown by the fact that he rose again from the dead. It is because I have preached these great truths that I am in trouble here and have been put in jail like a criminal. But the word of God is not changed. Even though I am, I am more than willing to suffer if that will bring salvation and eternal glory to Christ Jesus, to those God has chosen. I am comforted by the truth that when we suffer and die for Christ, it only means that we will begin living with him in heaven. And if we think that our present service for him is hard, just remember that someday we are going to sit with him and rule with him. But if we give up when we suffer and turn against Christ, then he must turn against us. Even when we are too weak to have any faith left, he remains faithful to us and will help us. For he cannot disown us who are part of himself, and he will always carry out his promises to us. Remind you, your people, of these great facts, and command them in the name of the Lord not to argue over unimportant things. Such arguments are confusing and useless and even hurtful. Work hard so God can say to you, well done. Be a good workman, one who does not need to be ashamed when God examines your work. Know what his word says and means. Steer clear of foolish discussions which lead people into the sin of anger. Things will be said that will burn and hurt for a long time to come. Hymenaeus and Philatus, in their love of argument for men like that, They've left the path of truth, preaching, and that lie that resurrection of the dead has already occurred. And they have weakened the faith of some who believe them. But God's truth stands firm, like a great rock. Nothing can shake it. It's a foundation stone. With these words written on it, the Lord knows those who are really his. And a person who calls himself a Christian should not be doing things that are wrong. In a wealthy home there are dishes made of gold and silver as well as some made of wooden clay. The expensive dishes are used for guests and the cheap ones used in the kitchen to put garbage in. If you stay away from sin, you will be like those dishes made of purest gold the very best in the house, so that Christ can use them for his highest purposes. Run from anything that gives you evil thoughts that young men often have, but stay close to anything that makes you want to do right. Have faith and love and enjoy the companionship of those who love the Lord and have pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish arguments which only upset people and make them angry. God's people must not be quarrelsome. They must be gentle, patient, teachers of those who are wrong. Be humble when you are trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meekly 
and courteously to them, they are more likely with God's help to turn away from their wrong ideas and to believe is true. Then they will come to their senses and escape from Satan's trap of slavery to sin, which he uses to catch them whenever he likes. And then they can begin doing the will of God. There ends a lesson. Beloved of the second chapter, I kept tempo up higher this morning because this is a place where St. Paul is getting down to what I think of as the nitty-gritty of, of church work. He is reminding Timothy of his duties, of his tasks that they're live for him. They're, this chapter can be cut up into four big chunks, and, and that's what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to, I'm going to cut it like you would a, a, a apple pie. I'm going to cut it across one way and then across the other. We're going to have four big slices of this thing this morning. The first slice of the pie has to do with role models or examples of what it means to be a good church Christian. See, uh, these are not just recently necessarily evangelized people. These people have been at this for some time. We know because we got this inference about Lois and Eunice there, the grandmother mother of St. Paul in the back. We know from the personalities involved that this has been uh, something that has been ongoing as a history, as a time, a place. Now, the text cards on that sort of indicates that there are three examples. Uh, but there are actually four. And they are the teacher, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. There are actually four of them. The teacher is the one that's imposed first. As a student, Timothy was taught many things by Paul. And Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. But as a pastor, Timothy must now teach those things to other godly people. That's chapter 2, uh, second part of verse 2. You see, that's a teacher involved in this who is a role model and an example for Timothy to utilize. Have you had good teachers in your life? I have. I've had some good ones. I've had some poor ones, too. Ones that were, were difficult, but but... Most all of them are wonderful people. They dedicate their lives to, to imparting knowledge. And this is one of Paul's examples. You see, preachers and church people are set aside to teach. All of us are. We don't just get to escape that, that role model or that comparison. We're supposed to impart goodness and the knowledge of God. Well, I had a teacher one time. I was I struggled almost all the way through school, but I was uh, in a uh, a, uh, a biology class, and the teacher had me looking through a microscope, and she looked over my shoulder. I was just doing not very well, and I had a piece of paper and a pencil nearby, and she put the pencil and paper for him. Gene, I want you to draw what you see. Just draw what you see. So I looked into the microscope, and I saw 
the tiny animals of the drop of water from a mill pond. I looked at it and thought, geez, so many wonderful things in here. There were diatoms and desmids running around, little things with a thousand legs going backwards and forwards, and I drew pictures of them. Sometime later, she came back again, this, this teacher of biology. She looked over my shoulder. She looked down and she said this. She said, Gene, she said. I said, what? She said, you're an artist, Gene. Didn't you know you were an artist? And I looked up and said, no. I just, <laughs> I thought I'm going to play football. She said, no, you're an artist. You hurt those pretty hands, she said. And therefore, to this very day, I remember very well Mrs. Gladys Belcher from the University of Kentucky with great joy because she spoke truth into me. You can, as a teacher, speak truth into your students, or you can speak lies into them. I try my best to speak the truth into you as I see it and as I know it. Sometimes it might be hard. Sometimes it might be something you don't believe or want to care about. But at the same time, it's the truth. I'll speak the truth. You do that too. And you will be a great teacher. The world needs you. How about a soldier? That's another model. Oh, that's another great model. A soldier, give all your energies to the, to the battlefield. Don't do other things. We get so caught up in other things that we forget we're in a war, a shooting war. The devil is, is just uh, rampaging, and here we are, the church, God in Christ, soldier. Act like it. Pay attention. Develop a discipline. Know what it is and keep to it. That's one of the great problems with the church today. It develops tons and tons of paper and then ties them and makes them disciplinary and social principles and God knows what all, and we don't obey any of them. Oh, we do the best we can, but we're Sinners saved by grace. Remember that as a good soldier. Athlete, football players. One of the great evangelists of the, of the past was a man named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a, a, a professional ball player around the turn of the century. He ministered from about that time up until the 1920s and very early 30s before the days of of uh, sound systems in churches. And Billy would preach to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. He always put sawdust down on the floor so that people would muffle them so they wouldn't make a lot of noise. He kept, his, kept them quiet because he, they had to hear him speak. And he was something, boy, he was something. He was a great, he was a ball player, so everything he used was an athletic illustration. He would put his hands up like a baseball bat and he'd say, I'm going to hit a home run for God. And then he would run across the platform and slide to first base. And Billy would, would get up on a chair sometimes and, and, and reach for an outfield ball. He said, we got to be athletes for Jesus. Well, that's, that's so much for that. But he, he is something. You can find him on YouTube. You look at him and you'll say, my Lord, what a fool that is. Well, Yes and no. Sometimes you have to be a fool for Christ. Sometimes style does make a difference. Sometimes 90% of the goodness of God is developed in delivery, not in some study somewhere. 
And when you get up in front of a thousand people and pray the Lord, and the Holy Ghost will take you to places you've never been, you'll have to go there, see? And so that is what an athletic Christian is like. He wanted them to be athletes. They were in society, and they knew what they were. A farmer. It's another old model of farmer. I love farmers because they can wait. They got patience. They got strength. They get up in the morning, go out and get dirty all day long, come in, take a shower, and go to bed, and get up the next morning, and go do it again. What are they after? A harvest. They get all themselves together for that important time when those harvests will come in and they will come bringing in the sheaves. Boy, that's, that's a farmer. That's a farmer for you. I knew a farmer. I was studying to be a coordinator of a labor mission. I was in the little town of Radford. I was in a circle group that, that day with a man who was a farmer. And we all looked at him. He was just looked like he'd come out of the field. And he told us a story of how he was speaking to God one day, driving his crack, tractor in the field. And he said the Holy Ghost power came on him so hard he started speaking in tongues. He had never done it before. Now, can you imagine a farmer on a tractor speaking in tongues? He said, I can do a thing in the world but go around in circles for a few minutes, he said. <laughs> That's a farmer. That's a farmer. A farmer is beloved. To Agriculture is something that the Lord loves and frequently talks about. Well, that's the first chunk of the pie. The second chunk has to do, it's not as big, but it's there. It's there to remind you of, of, uh, of God's message being chained. You see, verses 8 and 9 of the second chapter. The message, messenger is in the jail. But the message that Paul has cannot be chained. That's verses 9 and 10. See, if he says if the Lord puts you into a situation and you don't like it, well, you may have to just lump it because God is like that. God God gives us, puts us in places that we might not want to be all the time. And, and uh, that that's, that's necessary. That's necessary because we shall overcome. How are we going to overcome if we don't have something to overcome? See, that's what, it's just the necessities of logic. That's the second little slice. We want to leave that and go to the third. I might come back to that, but the third is a set of propositions that he makes. They're interesting. I'm going to give them to you cold without scripture reference. You can figure it out. If we die for Christ, we live with Christ. That's a simple proposition. Dying in Jesus is better than living without him. Let me say that, say that again. Dying with Jesus is better than living without him. Suffering innumerable pains with Jesus is better than suffering innumerable pains without him. Make up your mind that as a Christian church person, hardship comes to everybody. And when it does, it's going to come to us. And we are faithful. He says, if you are unfaithful, just remember that Jesus remains faithful. You may be unfaithful. You may drop the ball so much you can't even hold it. But if the Lord is with you, see, he's going to be faithful to you. He can't, he's with you. He's faithful to you. You want him with you. Do those things that bring him to you. If you have hardship, and many of us do, hardship leads to kingship. Hardship is royalty. 
to endure is a Christian thing that is given to us in, in, in the epistles more than anywhere else. Characteristic of a Christian is endurance. Endurance. The ability to hang in there when the going gets tough. Tough. Now, that's the third little piece. I want to take you to the fourth right quick because these are some of the pastoral duties that Timothy is reminded of here. He, uh, remind your people, he says, of the great scriptural truths that are in the Bible. That's verse 14. Remind them of that. See, scripture and truth are the same thing. They're not wobbly repetitions of each other. They're not intellectual concepts of one another. They're the same thing. Scripture and truth is just scripture and truth. A Christian. Now you may say, well, that's not real logical. Well, who cares? We, we, we are in control of our own minds, and that is what we decide. The same thing is true about Jesus. We take Jesus at his word and believe that he is truth. He is truth. Jesus is truth. Remind your people that the scripture is the truth. Now, the scripture, the truth therein may be in some cases a little gray. It may be a gray area that you got to give some consideration to from the aspect of the story effect of it. Uh, you know, the, the world didn't strap on its axis and the Bible says it did. Well, what are you, you going to do? Are you going to believe that when the world stopped on its axis they were all crunched up in the bank on the ground because of lack of, a lack of gravity? No. You've got to consider what you meant by that in a deep sense. Sometimes something isn't true, but it ought to be. I love that illustration. I've always loved it. So the Bible, sometimes you say, well, that ain't true. Well, it ought to be. And it, it, <laughs> if we decide it ought to be, we're the church. Who, for heaven's sake, who do you think we are? We are the church of Jesus Christ. He says to warn them against fussing and arguing. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful word of the Lord there because we're always getting into some fool argument. Verses 14, the latter half of verse 14 talk, talks about those foolish, foolish arguments. I had two ladies that fussed over a teacup. So help me God. And, and and did so for years and years and years. Had two sisters that wouldn't visit one another. And uh, oh mercy. It's just in church work you run into these examples of the 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 detrimental power of a silly argument. At what it can do. It, now there's the kinds of philosophical argument which are wonderful but not in the church. There's no such thing as a simple philosophical argument in church. No, the smallest thing will become a nightmare of controversy. And the color of paint will become a heresy. I tell you, there's so many errors in, in that, those kinds of controversy. He says that Timothy should present his body as a clean vessel to God. He talks about the... the Wonderful illustration of the dinner plates and the garbage and so forth. I think that's, that's just just a wonderful example. That you present your body clean. Uh, be, be clean to the Lord in terms of squaring yourself away with Jesus and what Jesus might want you to do. And avoid evil, he says in 2.22, avoid evil and, and, and pursue good. It's a movement in, in two directions at once, away from evil and toward good. 
away from evil and toward good. So if, if you're moving away from evil toward good, you're doing what is proper and right for a church leader and for a church group to get themselves involved in. Now, where are you in this text this morning? Do you find yourself looking again? I want to remind you to, to take those illustrations about role models very seriously because they will teach. People can really grow and learn from being taught on the example of various role models because each one of them has an opportunity for a student to reflect on. You talk about their great teacher in their life. Who was the great teacher in their life? Who was the great teacher in your life? Just take a moment. Sit down with a Bible, think about that, and pray for that person, and remember or remember that person in a in a memorial kind of a way to God. Who's a great pastor in your life that was a soldier for the gospel? You know, some of our pastors are regular down-to-earth soldiers. They're not uh, plumed hat warriors. They are foot soldiers. That slog it out week after week after week. I've known dozens and dozens and dozens of them. They don't get any big churches. They don't get a big salary. They don't even get a halfway decent house to live in. But what they do get, what they do get is the power of God and the soldiering effect of being what it is to lead the people of God. Athletes, farmers, just remember that the jailhouse in the second slice we looked at briefly is a place where you will find messengers chained up uh, with messages that cannot be unchained. See, I was taken on a tour of the Virginia State Penitentiary when I was studying in the seminary. And in the, in the Virginia State Penitentiary at the time, they stacked men in cells up on top of one another up five floors in the air. And they kept a single walkway open between the five floors. So you could look up and see all these countless hundreds of prisoners there in Virginia up in the, uh, up on those. That had a big effect on me. Big effect. When I was leaving, there was a, a lone, lone man out in the yard. He was raking leaves. And it was a privilege for him to be able to rake leaves. But he looked up at us and he said these words. He said, how did you like your tour? Of the big house. Well, I didn't like it very much. I learned I sure don't want to be put in there. I learned that much. But I learned also that God was in there. God was in there taking care of those people. In that other slice that we looked at, if we are to die, the results of it, more or less, in the second chapter, the 11th through the 13th verse, we talked about dying with Christ, living with Christ going through hardship with Christ. Never forget that you and Jesus and hardship go together. Jesus is going to take you through it. And I know it's hard. It seems like a false positive uh, reaction to have, but uh, it's, it's important to remember that God is with you in the midst of hardship. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. If we have hardship, it leads to kingship. Remember when we went through that in that slice there? Strive for God's approval and pleasure. That's what 
Timothy is being told here, avoid controversy, petty arguments, hang on to great spiritual truths, and be ready to avoid evil and pursue good. Well, I think we're done. I want to welcome you to the Christmas season. I want to invite you to study the Lord. We're going to do chapter 3, I hope, real soon, and draw a little closer to Jesus. It's been a privilege and a pleasure to be with you this time, this morning. And I hope you have a wonderful, blessed Christmas season. And may the joy of Jesus be with you in your church. Now you study this second chapter and you'll be equipped, chapter and verse, to be a good church person. Amen. Let us pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen. Goodbye, everybody. Meu viver